that time again. It's Flat Out RC Podcast time, the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Episode 154. Doing well. It's because I enjoy it. Uh, we've got a good guest on this week. Uh, a gentleman that I, I met many, many years ago, Rowan Howarth, is joining me. Uh, you wait until you hear this story about this model that he's building. You're going to love it. So please stay tuned. And look, if you're tuning in, subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends about it as well because they need to hear this stuff. Rowan's a great guy. Anyway, let's take a look at what's been happening around the traps. been interesting times recently for me because I've visited a few events. I think last time, in the last episode, I talked about the Echuca Aerobatic Smackdown event that uh, I visited, uh, and I visited another event this past weekend, so I'll tell you a bit about that, but before I do, uh, event notice. We're coming up to the end of the year here in Australia and around the world. Fancy that. <laughs> We're coming to the end of the year. Uh, but a lot of model flying events sort of go a bit quiet leading up to our Christmas period, Christmas holidays. Uh, and a reminder that Flat Out RC podcasts don't happen in January. I take a break in January just to uh, refresh and uh, not have to worry about producing a podcast and just can take it easy. Uh, but um, so this next announcement is for an event that's happening in January next year at the Bensdale uh, Model Flying Club which we all know because you hear me talk about it a lot. And the reason why I talk about it is because I keep on sending me flyers. Bansdale District Model Aero Club. Uh, Bansdale Gliding. It's a glider event. It's a, it's a glider fun fly event, which is, sounds like awesome fun. Uh, I might be there depending on what's happening because it's a long weekend. And Tony Wilson at the Bansdale Club knows that on most long weekends I go up to my holiday house. So I always complain to him and say, another long week event on a long weekend. So I loved going down to Bansdale. It's a great club, good club members, good culture, great field, plenty of space. So this gliding is a glider fun fly event. Bring any kind of glider, DLGs, bungee launch, winch launch, electric, um, you name it. Uh, 1,500 foot ceiling is in place. Uh, there'll be food and you can camp at the field and all that kind of stuff. Um, the gates are going to be open. So it's on January the 26th through the 28th. Uh, so the January 26th, I think, is Australia Day on the Friday. And then they've got the weekend as well. But the, the field will be open from the Thursday to the Monday because a lot of people love going down to Bansdale just to have a good time. So they open up the field either side of their events. So if you're planning on getting down, have a bit of gliding fun, uh, Australia Day weekend at the Bansdale and District Model Aero Club. Yeah, but I do love gliding. Keep on saying aerobatics and gliding, my two loves. Uh, but I want to tell you about my the event that I just went to down at the uh, the Bragg Club, the uh, Bauble Radio Modelers Club uh, down here in Victoria. Uh, they are located on the banks of the Blue Rock Lake or Dam. I can never remember. Uh, and they had their a fun fly event. One of their first, they're a relatively new club, so it's one of their first um, float fly, fun fly kind of events. We they've got a they've got a, a strip on the land. But because they're on the banks of the lake, we can fly off the lake. Um, and you probably, if, if you're following the Flat Out RC YouTube channel, you would have seen a video that I shot earlier in the year 
uh, at the, that that field. It's a great location. It's such a pretty place to go and fly. Now, I always say that helps when you've got a good outlook. Uh, and the outlook is a lake. Uh, it wasn't, the weather wasn't the nicest for float flying. It, like it, it's, it was flyable, but a lot of us learnt a few lessons. Um, I, I did shoot a video on it, so there will be, I'm hoping to have a video out sharing the experience of the day. But uh, we learnt that a little bit of wind and a little bit of wave doesn't really go well with a lot of model aeroplanes. Uh, and unfortunately, the wind directions, et cetera, and all that kind of stuff meant that this little chop, you wouldn't say, like, you know, I'm a water man. I love going out in the water and doing all sorts of different activities. And um, it was a ripple, but a bit too much of a ripple for most planes. So I had my FMS Super Cub on floats, which I love. It's a great plane to fly. Uh, went to take off and it uh, immediately flipped over and um, floated away on its top wing. Um, some water did get in to the model, uh, to foam model, so floats okay and all that. And I think the speed controller may be fried because when we tried to give it a crack, it didn't want to play ball. So um, I'm drying it out. I'm going to reconnect the battery and see if I can get any love out of it and see if I can resurrect it. But I was not the only one. I did try again. And um, when I went to try again, that's when the motor was failing other people did successfully get in the air but um the other thing that we learned about float flying is you might be able to get the plane in the air in those kind of conditions but when you get it back onto the water and you have to taxi back off the water towards the bank a lot of these models don't have a lot of steering ability when it's the wind's fighting them and a lot of these planes my float planes are quite high off the ground you know because the pontoons and it legs up and all that kind of stuff uh, and so the wind gets under the wings and wants to float around, or you just don't have that rudder authority or the, uh, to, to, to turn the model. So there was um, the, the chosen technique, which probably the experienced float flies out there know, was to just bring it back at speed, get enough airflow across that rudder to try to st- help steer it. A lot of these models have got a, a, an underwater rudder, but they're very small. Uh, very, they're great in light conditions, but to, like, they're not strong enough to fight a, a decent breeze. So... You really had to come back with the model almost on the plane above the waves. Uh, Tony Wilson, Sergeant Tony Wilson, did feature well. He had to go and rescue many, many planes that were overturned in the water. And unfortunately, a few models had were water affected. Um, but we learned a lot, and it's, geez, it's a good club. They're, you've never met a club that's really focused on trying to expand, grow their um, facilities and, you know, um, Build a clubhouse, add more toilets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, uh, well done to all the team down there at the Bobalk Radio Modelers Club. We always love getting down there. So, next time, if you if you haven't tried uh, float flying, I suggest you do because it's phenomenal fun. It's really, really is a lot of fun to go uh, float flying, and it's a very social kind of thing as well. But um, oh. Hamburgers were good there too. Gee, they, some of these country clubs, they've got access to some really good quality meat. And, you know, I'm starting to do food reviews in my videos at flying events. And I'll tell you what, it was pretty damn good. I do like eating at flying events. Uh, so, anyway, there, but that was good fun. Get out to your float flying event. Um, as I said, event season sort of quietening down, but start 
I, I know what I'll be doing. I'm going to get a few models. I've got to get a glider going. I want to get my F5J glider going. Um, I'm trying to find – I want to get my jets going. I've got two jets. That I only need a little bit of work really to get them going. Uh, and I'm just finding someone – trying to find someone, asking friends to see if they can do it for me because I'm just too busy. Yes, I would love to be able to have more time, but I'm juggling a lot of things in my life because I just need to. But anyway, we will get there. Let's keep on moving. Well, we're up to that point in time, which is my favourite time where it's guest time. So enough of my yakking. Rowan Howarth is uh, my special guest. Rowan, I met many years ago at an, an aerobatic flying event that I used to um, host. And he's a good guy. Him and his mate, Ross. Ross is a good guy as well. Uh, two lovely guys. But um, Rowan sent me a message uh showing me some photos of a model that he's been building and it's phenomenal the first thing i say is you need to come onto the podcast and talk about this model and everything else that you've been up to and rowan i've been trying to get rowan on before and he was he was reluctant anybody out there if i ask you to come on the podcast trust me you got plenty to say people say oh i'm a nobody i haven't got a story well yeah an hour later and you're still having a yak um and so i finally twisted his uh, rowan's arm enough and he's, he's come on board and uh, had a chat and um, i'm so glad he did because i really really enjoyed this chat with rowan so we go up to lake macquarie port macquarie sorry port macquarie up in uh new south wales to have a chat with rowan even though he used to live in victoria so here we go here's my chat with rowan health i chase a lot of people to come onto this podcast and sometimes it takes a bit of time and i you know i think they just succumb to my pressure and Rowan Howarth is the man that has succumbed to that pressure. Rowan, thanks for joining me. No worries, Andrew. You finally got me here. Mate. I did. Um, now, but we met many moons ago when you came to uh, one of my aerobatic fun fly events. Oh, it would have been what, 2013 or 14 or something like that, I'd say. Yeah, I was thinking about this before we uh, before we chatted, but I reckon it would be have to be at least that long ago. Uh, yeah, 2013 in Ararat, I think, from memory. That's right. We were in Ararat. And I, I, look, I still maintain close connections with a lot of the people that came to that event because, um, you know, we were, we were a good bunch of people and we had a lot of fun. So um, that was enjoyable. Now, uh, Rowan, you, you started, I met you when you were living in Victoria, but where are you now? I'm up in the uh, in the beautiful part of the, the mid-north coast of New South Wales, mate, in Port Macquarie. You went up there for work, didn't you? I did, yeah, yeah. So work sort of uh, work. Send me calling. I, I actually, uh, when I met you in Ararat, I'd, I'd moved out of. Uh, I grew up down in Sale, so I think you know you, you've, you've got some uh, affiliations with the Sale Club down there. And uh, and but I decided to get away from the coast and move move inland to Victoria, and then miss hills and miss the coast. So decided to get back closer to it, and thought I'd go somewhere warmer. So lo and behold, it, it is a nice spot. I've been up there before, and um, I did I did like it up there. Now your aero modelling has followed you wherever you go. I know that. So. Let's get started. Where did your journey in aero modelling begin? Yeah, look, uh, a fair while ago now. It's a, you know, life uh, life goes pretty quick. But um, I've always always had a keen interest in in sort of aviation. Generally, I was always wanted to grow up and be a pilot. Um, didn't happen, obviously. But I, uh, but aero modelling was sort of a bit of that pathway. I actually, um, I didn't really know much about RC or anything else. But I got given a, a control line. When I was a uh, kid, at one of those little Cox 049 PT19 <laughs> yeah, plastic yeah. trainers, yeah. and uh, and so me and a mate had sort of started playing with that a little bit when I um, when I first started, and then uh, and then I met met Bob Bennett's 
in the sale club there who was was obviously pretty keen in the in the area modeling scene back back in the day and he uh he was still lucky enough to be taken on under his wing a little bit there and taught to fly when i was when i was a young fella so so where were you flying the control line though local park or yeah 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 on the on the uh the back of the push bike at wherever it would uh wherever it let us make noise for a little while before they ran us out of town pretty much so um whether it was the cricket club whether it was down the down the back of the little oval or whatever else until someone complained. Yeah. And they, so then, so where did you meet Bob at the flying club, or he saw you somewhere else? No, well, he actually uh, coincidentally uh, worked worked with my old man. So uh, my old man actually sort of managed to play matchmaker there a little bit and said, I think at the time when um, when I first got introduced, I was actually trying to build a remote control plane uh, with no idea about anything. I think I'd helped with a few bits out of a an old 27 meg radio control car and I was trying to build servos from nothing because I didn't even know they existed and um, it was one of those was it an air flight PC9 I think it was back in the day give us a give us an era what year are we talking oh but it'd have to be I reckon I was probably eight so it's going back um oh wow now and what am I so about 30 30 odd years 30, 30 years or something okay Yep. Um, so what's that? Yeah, that's you know early early nineties. This is pre two point four gig. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. And uh, anyway, so I think I think Bob probably took pity on me more than anything else. Probably looked at the massacre I was doing with this this old air sail kit, yeah. and uh, decided he better actually get me out of trouble. So uh, yeah, it was um, down down to the sail club. I think at the time they they actually had a had a club trainer they put together to bring newbies like me through. So I got a few flies of that before I was low and truly hooked. Um, and at the time I had a, uh, I had a paper round that used to pay $11.20 a fortnight. Oof. And so there was a lot of 4am in the mornings to, um, to save up my first, my first trainer, <laughs> which was, a, which was a VMAR Cessna, I think, from memory. Oh, really? Was that a kit or an ARF? No, uh, that was, that was one of the early ARFs. So I think they were, um, VMAR back in the day were, were sort of, I don't know. They came out with printed covering and all kinds of stuff, but That's right. that was sort of yeah. So was there local? Was there a local hobby shop in sale at the time? Yeah, there was. Um, yeah, well, it wasn't really a hobby shop. It was. Um, it was sort of out of a mobile trailer that used to come down to the club on the weekends. Um, and so you used to have a collection of sort of ARFs and bits and pieces. And the toy shop back then had a few bits and pieces as well. So it was uh, was cobbled together from from whatever was around. But um, yeah, that no, was a. It's a good time. I remember I couldn't afford at the time. I couldn't afford uh, the high tech four twenty twos. I think with a with a fancy servo for for trainers back then. I couldn't afford them all, so I had to have a mix of the, the HS three hundred as well. Because and there was an extra six weeks of saving involved in upgrading. Uh, so you had to work hard for it, didn't you? Yeah, <laughs> it was a slow. It was there was a lot of four a.m. mornings. It's not like that nowadays. Kids just go, Dad, I want a model airplane. Okay, what color would you like? Uh, okay, so then you head down to the club and, you know, so, of course, you get a bit of instruction. What was that learning experience like? Because this is pre-simulators. Yeah, 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 pre-simulators. And it was pre-buddy cables, actually. Um, so it was um, a lot of sort of, uh, I don't know, Bob was pretty good at wrestling the transmitter out of your hands before, uh, before, you, before you got too close to the ground, which was good. But, you know, it was um, it was good. I remember being taught, you know, I had to learn how to... Um, had to learn how to land before I was 
put take off if I'd known how easy taking off was at the time. I probably would have tried harder, but it's um, but yeah, I wasn't allowed to wasn't allowed to take off before I could land, which was always good. <laughs> and um, and uh, no, it went went pretty well actually. I don't think we don't think we broke anything. So did you pick it up pretty quickly? Uh, look, I was young, so yeah, I think I picked it up right, but I think it was the it was the finessing that takes the time. But, yeah, that's true. Um, but it's uh yeah, no, not not as good as a couple of other caterpillar of mates who started at the same time as me and they were always sort of more natural to it, but practice makes uh makes it come together, I suppose. Yeah, okay. And at the time at the club, what was the sort of demographic like? Were there other young guys um flying? Like many of them? Used to be a, yeah, there used to be a few. Um were you you've Met my mate Ross, obviously. I, yeah, him and Ross. he and I grew up together. We sort of got into it pretty much the same time. Um, he was, uh, and yeah, there would have been would have been a few juniors back then. I reckon there was, uh, oh, when I say a few, there wasn't, obviously not half the club was juniors, but there would have been five, five or six of us going through about the same time. That's not too bad. And the sail field, I always love the sail field, the the, um, the grass there is phenomenal. Was it at the same location where it currently is or was it a different field? Yeah, yeah, exactly the same location. Oh, okay. Um, it's it's been there as long as I can remember, even before I uh, sort of was really really into it. But it's um, obviously a lot closer into town now. Like all those places I remember back in the day, it was was in the in the boondocks, or maybe it just felt like that because used to have to ride my push bike out there. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, nah, certainly uh, it's always been a spot. Yeah, it it feels like it's right next door to the city when you drive there. But um, okay, so then after you, you you get going on this trainer, where did you head after the trainer or kind of model? After that, I think I well, I ended up with a variety of a, a few different sort of ARFs. Then I think I had a had a pattern ship there for a while. One of the early sort of old uh, methanol pattern ships. Um, I think I had the obligatory sort of scanner. Um, not try. I think I tried my hand at the at a forty six size Mustang, a V-Mart Mustang there for a while. Which having having no more birds now, probably wasn't a more bird, but still made me feel cool at a, as a kid. Um, <laughs> So uh, yeah, that was um, that was. I didn't, didn't really get fully into building or anything until I was a bit, well, I was a bit older, really. Did you? Okay, so when you turned uh, like eighteen, were you, did you still keep on going, or you know, did you do it? No, I mean, I, um, well, I, I had a, I had a fair pause then. As probably a lot of juniors probably do around the, uh, the eighteen time, went off to uni. Probably found found other hobbies, um, which we won't go into, but it's. Uh, I, yeah, no, I didn't probably then sort of really stay. I was always still interested. I still had still had old planes in the uh, in the shed and everything else. I think I ended up with a by well, that stage sort of a really stepping back. I think I ended up with a with a sort of one sixty size uh, edge five forty. I think was the was the uh, the thing I had sort of next or, or when I first got out of it. Then I went off to uni and didn't sort of really look at models again for for a number of years. Wine, women, and song. I call it. That's the that's the one. Yeah, yeah, and, and cars think, and motorbikes. Yeah, well, see, I was I was a poor uni student, so the uh, I always had the cars and the motorbike sort of interest, but never the never the dollars. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the, uh, the priorities change. So, and you know, fast forward a few years, suddenly had uh, found myself with with a job and and a bit more disposable income and sort of. Started to get back into it a bit, and I think that's probably where you and I crossed paths after I'd been back into it just, just for a little while, really. So, what brought you back though? Like, okay, 
a lot of us, like your story, we will have a model when we're younger and then we sort of park the hobby for a while, but we don't get rid of everything. I've still got this. My mum says to me, have you still got that yellow plane? I go, yes, it's an Aeroflight Ares that I still have and I can't throw it out. Like it's in disrepair, but I can't throw it out. So what got you, what was the thing that drove you back into to model flying? Um, it was actually probably, it wasn't actually drove me, but I think actually my mate Ross got back into it before I did. And and he uh, he suddenly, out of the blue, rang me and said, oh, you wouldn't believe it, I've got another plane. And uh, and I said, oh, I can't even remember if I know how to fly still anymore. And I think I went out the uh, went back out the field when I was catching up with him one day and, and uh, yeah, it was pretty much hooked again, I've got to say. And suddenly it was a good idea. I think the next week I had um, I'd suddenly put an order in on a, on a big decathlon and the rest was sort of history. I was sort of in a big way then. Yeah, and I don't think you've slowed down that much, though. I know you've built a few different planes in the, along the way. Yeah, yeah, no, it's um, it's become a bit of a uh, bit of a thing. It's definitely been in in a big way in the last last few years since I got back into it. So just don't just don't tell my wife. No, no, she won't be listening to this at all. That's right. <laughs> she's heard she's heard your voice enough. She doesn't need to listen to a podcast of you talking more anymore. Uh, okay, so then let's get into the kind of models that you like flying. I've always known you as being an owner of really big planes, um, but take us through. You know, where do you sit in that hobby scene? What's what's your sort of passion as far as models go? It's coincidental that they're probably most of the stuff's been big. I'd like to say it's because they uh, they're easy to see or anything else. But in reality, I, I think I've just I've got an affinity to to things that are a bit unique. So uh, you know, and, and big things for a while they've always sort of been a bit more unique. Um, I actually I've got fat fingers, so I actually reckon they're easier to build. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, and look, I, I, yeah, it's it's more that unique thing that gets me. I, I think so. Um, having said that. Oh yeah, my favourite planes probably. Uh, I just I love super decathlons, and I've pretty much always had one um, in one sort of shape or size. And you just make friends with decathlons, so um, that's uh, that's that's the go-to. But yeah, for, for a number of years there, I had a um, about a thirty-eight percent Hempel decathlon that was just just the go-to all-weather sort of plane to fly around in. And um, and big planes just fly so well that I just keep building big ones. What um so have you, have you still got a decathlon? Uh, I've actually I don't actually have I've I've, I've crossed myself up here because I've actually always had one except for now, <laughs> and it's um it's I must be missing something in the hangar. I reckon maybe that's what's going wrong with my life. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's um they're uh they're a good thing. Oh, I'm a big fan of decathlons. I just love the look of them. Yeah, it's it's an iconic plane. It's a the two planes of my childhood are decathlons and super chipmunks, and um, yeah, I love both. Um, yeah, indeed. I, I've always, I think I've said this before on the podcast that you know when I back in the eighties, you'd read the Airborne magazine, you see these decathlons, and I'd, I'd just say to myself, "There is no hope in hell I could ever build a model like that and do the covering with the stars and all that kind of stuff." Now you know you got the ARFs, that, so they do the, all the hard work for you, but. To me, it was like, oh, it'd be so much work in the covering alone. I don't know how I'd ever be able to do all the stripes and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, love, always oh, loved a, loved a decathlon. What what was it? Well, out of uh, so you had the big, big Hempel decathlon. What other decathlons did you have? You know, were they big ones or some smaller ones as well? That was that was big. I know I've had um, I've had 
the more range you can source from sort of your, your 40 source methanol ones, uh, the sort of one one twenty size methanol ones, and then um, I built a I built a third scale one uh, when I was a few years ago when I was a bit younger. That was a that was a, that was a nice thing, um, and then I had a had a thirty five cc version, and then I had the Hempel one. So they're um, I just collect them. I like I like them. So yeah, I can find a bit of a scattering. But in terms of I think the the other the other stuff, I, yeah. I like, I like, I just like planes. That's the problem. I think the the warbirds, the warbirds I like. I've um, I probably stepped away from the World War Two stuff, you know, because I just uh, I got sick of fixing recracks. So, but um, but I, I love watching, I love watching other people's warbirds now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm a big fan of watching people's warbirds and you know how they're going to get these things down, kind of thing. And I remember going to the Bandsdale Club to a warbird day and just watching mustangs and spitfires come in and you know collapse landing gear and uh, crashing on takeoff all sorts of different things but um they are good to watch oh you like me where you enjoy seeing other people's planes fly like i I like seeing some of the amazing jets that people have i I don't want to buy one and i don't necessarily want to fly one but i love looking at them yeah i um yeah, I do. And I, I, I love flying. Well, I love flying more birds as well. But I, um, I've got to say, I, I don't like taking them off, and I don't like landing them. But you know, I'm more than happy to fly someone's sort of up in the air. I just don't want to. I just don't want to fix it. <laughs> um, but the uh, yeah, like I just that's my, my, my part of my problem is, and I was talking to some of my mates about this. I just there's too many planes that I like to uh, to actually have them all. That's, that's my issue. So when you ask me questions like, what kind of planes do you like? Um, everything you're probably looking more a specific answer than just everything but I sort of do no but it's actually you know when I think about you that's true because I've known you owning everything from aerobatic planes so that the, the massive cub remember you you well Ross had the cub didn't he and then you got it off him yeah yeah well Ross had an incident with the cub and so I ended up with the the it was a good idea to fix it at the time that was a big um, cub what was that? that was a Hempel cub wasn't it yeah, that was that was the Hempel forty percent cub, and and I thought it was going to be. I thought, yeah, I can fix that. And uh, as it turns out, I think it would have been easier to just build a new one. Um, I think I kept the tail. That was about the only thing that sort of really probably stayed stayed uh, as one piece because I ended up extending the wings out to because they come as a clip wing. Um, so I ended up extending the wings by about two feet and and making it a forty percent full full span cub, which was. Uh, Fly, flew beautifully. See, that that's interesting that you would embark on a project like that. That's just not any ordinary project. Say, okay, I'm going to get this thing and I'm going to extend the wings, because there's a fair bit of work involved in doing that. So you obviously don't mind making the effort when it comes to putting these models together. It's funny because I uh, I get hairbrain schemes and they're great ideas at the time until you get halfway through and you think what am what I doing I'm just <laughs> yeah. probably fortunate up, fortunate up here because I've sort of fallen in with a bunch of blokes up here that sort of uh, keep me sort of motivated and driven to keep finishing stuff really so they keep coming me just just uh, a little bit every day seems to make the difference um, so you know they uh, they keep the motivation going I probably wouldn't do half the stuff I do without, uh, without those guys around to be honest but it's um yeah, it was certainly a certainly a mission, and there was a number of times we were all looking at each other, questioning, "What have we done?" Um, but I'm sure every everyone gets that at times. Yeah. Now you you sent me some photos recently of this model that you're building, and yep. you do like unique models. 
I'll give you that. There was a as a model, one of your models I put in the Flat at RC magazine, which was what was it called? The one with all the wires that, at the back. Was, yeah, that was uh, an Echo DH2. That's right, Echo that DH2, and it had the pusher yep. motor on it. If you're yeah. listening, get onto the Google machine, put Echo DH2, see what it looks like. It's a, it's crazy looking. Um, push a push a prop, um, but the, a lot of wire wiring in the fuselage, isn't there something at the tail end? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's all all flying wires and everything else. So again, that was uh, it was a bloke over here, Mike Haig. Um, oh, I think you've uh, you've also been pressured to try and come on, yes, uh, true. Uh, on the podcast a couple of times. So Mike's Mike's a really really amazing scale builder up here, mm-hmm. and and he's I, I blame him for for all my dramas up here um, <laughs> in, in the scale model building, but. Um, yeah, certainly. Uh, he he built that DH two oh, years and years ago, and I was lucky enough to to get that off him, uh, twisted his arm after a, a number of number of years of trying to. Um, but yeah, very very unique thing. And I think that that was the genesis probably of the of this AGO project that I'm doing now because just love the pusher pusher configuration and that quirkiness. Okay, so tell about tell us about this model that you're building because it, it looks massive. Yeah, it is. So it's a well. It, it, it takes the unique sort of uh, lens to the next level, probably. It's a um, so it's a, a thing called an AGO C2, um, which is a, a sort of early World War One uh, German. Uh, it was an observation plane originally, but it's a um, doing it in third scale, which works out to be a, or just just under five meter wingspan, um, so 100, 192 inches, I think it is. Um, but it's a uh, yeah quirky little thing. It's sort of got two two torpedoes, sort of boom fuselages, and and a center nacelle uh, with a with a pusher prop on the back. So it's um it's quirky. Is it a laser uh, cut kit that you got? No, it's a uh, well. I've, I've drawn the whole. Well, it's laser cut. Yeah, I've, I've laser cut it. Um, just drew, drew up plans and stuff off uh, off a bunch of photos and sort of previews that I that I've found on the net. And um, so I've cut the kit. And uh, and put it all together that way, but it's getting getting closer. So that's um, amazing. Like I'm looking at photos of it now, and it is absolutely crazy how much work has gone into that. And even I'm just drawing it up and that kind of thing. It's just and it's massive, and it's a biplane too. It's a biplane, so you got lots of wings, <laughs> lots of ribs to cut out. Uh, okay, so, and it's a push G. It's a biplane. Yep. So it's, it's a pusher, um, and it's got these big torpedo fuselages off the back. I've never seen anything like it. Is it going to have um, ailerons just on the top or um, on top wing? Or yeah, um, so yeah, yeah, so ailerons just on the top wing. Um, but even those, uh, they're, they're one point two meters and a bit. I think they're uh, they're about two hundred mil deep, sort of thing. So plenty of aileron. It'll um, it should actually fly really, really good. Heaps of wing area. Um, but the whole thing, and the reason we the scale we did was was scaled around. Uh, that the prop size is actually scaled to the real, real thing prop size, which means I had to had to run a relatively big engine. So it's a it's going to be a of a large two eighty uh, cc quad boxer engine. Oh, really? um, but uh, the the real the, the, well, the full size is a uh, is a six a straight six Benz engine, um, and obviously you can't get you can't get RC engines in six cylinder. And and I looked at columns and I looked at all those sort of uh, inlines and. And they just didn't look the, the scale approach, so I've uh, I've ended up hiding the the uh, the the engine inside the center nacelle. You, you, the engine sits under the under the pilot in the rear cockpit, and uh, it runs a 
an offset belt drive. So that's got a, there's a belt drive coming off that that runs through a, a 600 mil offset shaft, and that shaft runs under where the where the dummy engine is, and um, and uh, and spin it spins the top that way. So, and then that's a beautiful looking motor. What is it again? It's a Velach or a Fiala, depending on which country you're in. But they're um, Czechoslovakian made thing. Um, it's uh, yeah, beautifully made. It's that, 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 it's actually the same. Or, or two of the engines that Mike used to have in his uh, his original scrub cab, yeah, two one, yeah, the one forty in his scrub cab made by the large. And these are basically two of those bolted together. So that was a good engine. Hopefully, and, this is the same. And it's going to be belt drive. Yeah, yeah. So um, you won't you won't see that engine at all. Um, and then to get the cooling in through that of um, I've had to make some cooling ducts up that have actually got uh, two two EDF fans inside the ducts oh. that are uh, that have got the throttle controlled by uh, temperature sensitive telemetry units on the on the engine. So the, the hotter it runs, the the harder the fans will run. The, theoretically, the the more air it will get. So. That is crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Oh, I'm just looking at these photos and stuff that you sent me and. So you're going to have EDF motors blowing air because this motor being a pusher and it's all enclosed within the fuselage. So that was, I thought, how, how is that going to work? But um, oh, this is going to be phenomenal. I'll tell you what, it's a pity though because that motor looks beautiful. It would be great to be able to see it, but um, but it will sound good. Too. Is it a four-stroke or two-stroke? Uh, four-stroke, yeah, four-cylinder, four-stroke. Oh, um, that's going to sound then- great. And then because uh, one of the other things that I just wanted to do when we started this was because the the, 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 the real engine in the full size is sort of pretty prominent, sits up behind the, the cockpit there. Um, I've actually I've actually made the the dummy engine with working rockers and everything, so they uh, they actually all move uh, as well. So the engine will be run the the the, the, the latch will be running. So you'll hear the sound of that, and the uh, the rockers in the in the dummy engine will be tap tapping away oh, really? in the background there as well. So. Um, it should um, it should look right. The uh, the dummy engine was a bit of a project in itself, and I was pretty pleased when I actually started it for the first time. And bits of plastic and dummy push rods and stuff didn't fly out everywhere. Yeah. So you just three D printed all those. Yeah. Yeah. So I drew, drew that up and, uh, and 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 made that up. So that that works pretty well. Yeah. What's the access like to the engine for tuning and things like that? Is it is it pretty good access because it's you know being fully enclosed? Yeah, so the uh, the the carb is actually poke out of the uh, the cockpit floor under the pilot seat, so we should be able to get to the carb. Is right to tune it? Um, but uh, you know, it's a fairly major job to pull the engine out. But it's um it's designed so the nacelle floor falls away and you can get to it that way. There's a couple of hatches we've cut on the side that will be hidden behind dummy radiators for, uh, for things like spark plug sort of access and stuff. So I'm hoping, uh, touch wood, that we don't have to get the engine out too often. What about exhaust? Where's the exhaust going to run? Well, exhaust, that, that's probably the only thing that I uh, that we couldn't actually get was the was the, 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 the really exhaust running out of the, the dummy engine the exhaust. That was the original goal, but it just got a bit, for a big plane, it got a little bit tight in there. So the, uh, the, the exhaust just comes out through... Uh, a couple of little uh, exhaust ports under the under the cockpit or under the nacelle. So there's mm. um, sort of in between the undercarriage there. You don't see, and so you just see a couple of holes in the bottom, and there's that much going on there. You, you won't even notice it. I think. Yeah, that's true. Okay, and the the landing gear is what would you call it? It's not a tricycle. It looks like a pram. It's a shopping trolley. That's what we call it. Yep, it's like a shopping it's trolley. Fun. It's got four wheels. It does. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah so it's uh, yeah, two two mains at the rear and then um, or the rear in the cell and then two two forward sort of eight inch wheels on the front. Um, and uh, I think at rest it will sit and it's got two tail skids on one of those tail skid on each boom. So I think when it's uh, our theory is that when it's sitting on the ground, it'll sit on the two mains and, and on the tail uh, like a normal sort of uh, tail dragger. And then once the power comes on uh, or you're taxiing around, it'll it'll rotate and sort of sit on the on all four shopping trolley wheels. Um, That's like the full size because you sent me some full size photos as well, and you can see it just sitting there on the tail skids. Um, but then, yeah, when it sort of starts moving, it's on the on the four wheels. That is just yeah, that's crazy. That, that's a lot of work and um, and a lot of flying wires as well. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't know how many meters of flying wires there are, but there's it's a it's a lot of cable. Um, but it's uh it's rigged now, so it's it's pretty close to actually stripping down and covering. So, I um, looking forward to that that stage, but um. You're going to go with the scale theme, the scheme with the German scheme. Yeah, we'll do. I um, I'm still sort of uh, they're all a bit bland to be honest. All the all those really early sort of schemes are all a bit sort of bland, so it'll end up it'll end up a scale theme. But I um, I'm still sort of on which which one of the bland schemes I sort of go with really. <laughs> uh, go Red Bull, put a Red Bull scheme on it. <laughs> <laughs> Liven things up. Yeah. Uh, everyone's got to go. What is it? An AGO? Did you say? An AGO. Yeah. AGO C2. So C2 Um But it's a very unique sort of a beast. But it's um it's interesting because I've actually been I've been talking about building this thing for about three or four years before I actually really sat down seriously and started drawing anything up in in CAD. Um, but uh, I'd, I'd sort of started drawing the, the – I always start drawing the wings first. I just – I like drawing wings. Um, but I, I pretty much started drawing those wings up. And then um, Mike, Mike up here decided that it was uh, – he, he wanted to do a, a Sikorsky S16, which I think you saw it. You might have seen it, Shepard. And, um, and, uh, and interestingly, that, that wing is, is exactly the same wing as, as, as the AGO is using airfoil-wise and everything else was – it was we looked at the two that we were sort of it was the course giving we were starting to, to look at and they were that similar um that we I decided to use that as a bit of a test case um so i'm glad that his course he flies really well because it actually means that the the ago will as well um but we will have built 16 meters of of that wing by the time um mm. by the time we uh, we finished the ago now so you know how to do it cg is going to be interesting for this model uh have you done some calculations on where it's going to sit? And because, because where that is the engine sitting near the CG line, near the sort of the wing spar kind of area? Yeah. So the the the, the, the engine itself sits under the under the pilot who sits in the rear cockpit. So it's forward. The the, the engine's forward of the CG, which is uh, which is sort of really good. It, it'll end up being. You know, I was sort of was conscious when we first started to to keep everything forward. That was a bit of a, a DH2 uh, learning experience, like need, need, need the nose weight of anything. So uh, everything's been sort of designed to go forward. So there's like things like the batteries for the for the cooling fans and all the batteries for flight packs and all that sort of stuff all sit right up the very front. Um, the the engines forward of the CG um, and all the servos and everything else sit under the gunner's cockpit, which is in the front. Um, so uh, that's that's all sort of as forward as we can get. 
we'll just have to see how it goes. I think fuel fuel tanks and everything else are right on the CG. They're under the under the dummy engine, so it should be. I'm hoping to get away with uh, with not having to add add, uh, add much weight to it at all. Um, although the gunner might in the, in the front cockpit might end up having to wear lead pants or something. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you never know. It's going to be a phenomenal model. This is this this is like a, a, a real standout kind of thing because it, it's such a unique looking plane. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how it flies as well because there's a lot sort of going on aerodynamically. So um, it, it's going to be amazing. Um, okay, what servos and stuff are you chosen for it? Uh, so it's running running Savox servos throughout, so the Savox 1270s. So I think they're, um, you know, there's, there's plenty, of, plenty of talk in those servos. I've, I've, it's got two servos on each other on, not necessarily because I'm going to need the torque with any sort of speed or anything else, but... Only because uh, because the wing sort of trailing edge there is sort of pretty thing. It's got a got a proper wire trailing edge, just like the full size does. Um, just something we've managed to to sort of perfect, I guess, between the last couple of builds we've done, um, like the course and everything else, etc. So there's there's not much rigidity in the in the actual alignments. So the couple of servos over that length just just help to sort of stiffen it up and keep the keep the sort of um, you know everything running straight. Um, so there's yeah there's servox servos throughout everything everything runs on uh, actual control cables and things so it's not not you know there's actually elevated cables and things you would have seen on the DH2 if you remember but um, yeah so no no servos in the tail everything else it all runs through through machine pulleys and, and onto uh, on the control servers that way and when it comes to this project and all the little intricacies such as you know where you're going to put the servos and all that kind of stuff is it, how much time you know are you spending on, on working out those kind of things because you know it's one thing to be able to draw up the model in CAD but you've got to actually be able to fly it so you know, you're spending hours and is, is Mike helping you as well and you know how are you going about all that side of it yeah no it's a um that's the thing it's actually uh you know I talk about it quite often we've, we've generally I think we solved most of the problems in our head before we actually start drawing anything um and I had probably uh, I had a three-year head start, I think, on Mike and when we started this to, to solve a lot of the problems. But, um, yeah, like we, I think we'd solve most of the those sort of questions about, you know, control cables and everything else over a few, a few the last few models. Um, and you just sort of tweak bits each each time. You pick up something that worked really well on, on the previous plane and, and incorporate into this or you adjust things accordingly. So, um, like I said, even just the, the, the wing setup, on Mike Sikorsky, we knew it was going to work. So yeah, it's work a few things based on that for the for the AGO. Um, it's uh, it's a bit of a team effort. Works pretty well. And um, when what radio gear are you use? Uh, so I'm running uh, Jetty. So that's uh, and and to be honest with this with this build particularly, we lost without it. So but the Jetty with its ability to use the uh, the telemetry. Inputs as actual sort of controls for things like those thermo fans and everything else is just just makes it possible. So yeah, getting GS twenty four um, and using a lot of that logic sort of setup, which I which I always thought was a bit of a gimmick to be honest. Um, but now we've actually found use for it. Yeah. Having said that, in uh, after we get in six months, because this there's uh, always a risk that this thing could be a more failure, but I think we're uh, we're crossing the T's and dotting the I's, so we're hoping that's not going to happen. 
Yeah, but no doubt you'll you know do a bit of fair bit of ground testing before you get into the air. So, but it, it should fly. Like you know, sometimes you you look at a model and you go, "Is that going to fly?" And I look at that and go, "It's got all the right ingredients. It's going to be different." Um, yeah. But you know, and I suppose you won't know the true characteristics until it gets into the air. But it, it will fly. No doubt. Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the numbers are stacking up pretty well. I think you know, wing loading, everything else is just just on the numbers. I think. Um, I think we're sort of looking at, uh, you know, I was getting a little bit worried there for a little while it was going to end up too light um, okay. if there is such a thing. But, <laughs> what do you um, think the weight's going to be? Oh, look, I, I, uh, I was originally thinking it was going to be around sort of low, low 30 kilos. Um, that was before I, uh, I'd, I'd forgotten a couple of key things, like there's, there's nearly two kilos of stainless steel brackets to hold it all together mm. that I hadn't sort of thought about. You know, most models you sort of think, oh, yeah, there's a bit of, Bit of bracketry and everything else, you don't be negligible. But I think there's something like 100 and, 140 individual stainless steel brackets that have been cut for this thing so far, and I'm still going. So really? it's um it's a crazy amount of metal when you start putting it all together. Um, but yeah, I mean, as it was, I think at low 30 kilos, it was it was still ending up with a wing loading lighter than than a lot of gliders. So it's um a little bit a little bit more mass won't hurt. I reckon I reckon it'll end up around around the forty kilo mark, and I'll be pretty happy. I reckon. Yeah, that's why you're going with such a big motor. Yeah, although it'll probably fly around, it'll, it'll put around at, at to the throttle. Probably, it's um, it's amazing how slow these big under camber wings will actually fly. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, it's all a bit of a bit of an experiment. But I think yeah, we're we're uh, we're covering off the numbers and the and the theories as we go. So when do you think it's going to be ready? Uh, I'm hoping to have it. Well, it's it's getting dangerously close to it. It's in, in my garage and been all assembled and, and sort of fully rigged, which uh, which my wife's hating because she can't get a car back in the garage. But um, well, it's it's pretty much ready now to strip down and start start looking at seriously covering really. So I uh, I'm certainly aiming to have it. I'm, I'm, we're aiming towards having it shipped in this year. I think is the next year. is the thing. But yeah, for it's well, sorry, next year. But we're nearly we're nearly at next year. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's uh, it'll be fine before then. But that'll be probably uh, I think the, the first sort of big outing we take it down to. I'd, I'd say if we all goes well. Oh, excellent! So I'll be there because uh, always I'm going to Shepparton. Uh, covering, yeah. what are you going to cover it in? Uh, so we fabric covered. So it's going to be um, sun silkies. The the stuff we've been using the last little while. So it's a it's a uh, a linkra fully fully uh, polyester. Maybe for skirt lining or something. I think, but right. it's um. It's a sort of lighter and uh, and bigger sheet alternative to cover all. Doesn't doesn't shrink quite as, as much, but it's um it's a it comes in a wider roll and you can sort of wrap it in wrap wrap the wings in one go. Okay, so you how, how does it, how, I don't know anything about how you how you cover it with that, that material. So what's the process? Um, yeah, so it's uh, yeah you basically use a stuff called Mod Podge, which is like a heat activated sort of uh, heat activated glue, really. Um, and uh, so you paint the paint the airframe in in mod podge at the sort of leading and trailing edges and stuff. Uh, wrap the stick the covering on and then you get, and then you dope it down. It's the same as um, you use use a dope and, and sort of string it with the dope and uh, and then with heat and it shrinks down tight. And then you then you're painting over that. So it's yeah. um, it's a uh, I'll become a seamstress for days. 
Yeah, it's a lot of work in this in this plane. I've got to get it. Uh, I've got to get it sort of finished because I've got the next the next couple of projects are already lining up. So it's um the the race is on now. Gee, you're you're going hell for leather with this hobby. Like this is like this is not a small project, and it's and it's an intricate thing. Do you, do you find that you're, you're the kind of person that loves that sort of the intricate side of of things, like the the nitty gritty? Um, yeah. Well, look, I'm to be honest. I'm not as good at it as there's a so so Mikey's brother uh, crazy at that nitty gritty intricate stuff. I like solving the problems and and sort of the design stuff. I think that's why this thing's been so so. Sort of always appealed to me because there was heaps of these little problems to solve about, you know, things like how do I get the get the belt drive to work and uh, how do we get cooling to work and all those sort of stuff. Um, but you know, I like, I like the designing and, and problem solving bit. Um, and then uh, and then I lean pretty heavily on you know your Mike's of the world and and his brother Rob who builds incredible pilots and things to make them look a bit prettier. Um, but the uh, yeah, it's. Um, I'm really, really enjoying sort of. Uh, I've spent the last few weeks. Like I said this dummy engine's been a bit of a project in itself. It became a bit of a labour of love in the end to get that looking, looking cool and working. Um, yeah, I've been I've been flat out on the computer lately, just with a three D printer and making dummy dummy fuel tanks. And I'm on I'm on radiators at the minute because there's there's radiators that hang off the side that sort of uh, need to need to look sort of scaling correct. So you know it's um it's uh it's a challenge, but it's it's kept me busy. I'm just sitting here listening and imagining how much time you've spent on it, you know, and and the design work. I know you're an engineer, so you obviously like that design kind of stuff. But um, yeah, it's just it's just it's just massive. You're gonna have a pilot in it. Yeah, there's so there's two pilots. So the, the pilots um, and and Mike's brother Rob will make those. He's uh he's 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 incredibly good at making those things. But there'll be a uh. There'll be a pilot in the back, and he'll be animatronic as well. So he's, I think, at this stage, we're, we're sort of thinking his head will move, and he might wave to the crowd or something. Yeah, um, right. And then, uh, and then there's a gun that sits in the front. So I've, been, I've, I've made the gun and everything else now. But same thing, he'll um, that gun will sort of swivel and move around, and and uh, and everything else. I think I'm I'm debating with Rob at the minute about what pose he should have, whether he should be standing up in the in the gunner's cockpit or sitting down or what to do. So you know, it'll um, those sort of little things will just finish it off. I reckon. Yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. I just can't wait to see this plane. You know, like this, this if you get it to Shepherd next year, it's going to be a standout model. It's just because it, it, you know people love big planes. They always stand out at a big event like that. You know, the, the the big big planes. But it's not just big; it's just unique in the whole look with the the twin booms and the biplane and the pusher. It's like eh, it's just crazy, absolutely crazy. I'm I'm very intrigued to see this thing go. And it's going to fly. I like it. It's going to fly. How do you? How are you going to set it up at the field? Because it looks like it's going to take a while to get it ready to fly at the field. Yeah, well, I think that that was that was part of the challenge of sort of trying to make them reasonably user user friendly. And you know, level one rigging wires and everything else are never they're never going to be as quick as sort of five minutes and you're sort of flying. But um, at this stage, we sort of sort of designed it so that um, the, the outer wing, so the wing sort of splits into three pieces. So this, the whole center. Of the plane from sort of the two booms in in is sort of the center section, and they all stay together. That that's that fits inside my trailer, um, like I've got a big trailer. Um, but that's the one. So that whole shopping trolley sort of boom assembly just sort of rolls into the trailer, and then the outer wing panels um, most of the time will, will stay as 
were sort of pretty much rigged. They'll stay together. So top and wing, top and bottom wing will stay uh, stay as a, as a unit. And then um, they will just slide on basically. And then you've got it sort of halves the number of rigging wires I've got to set up at the field. Um, and then depending on how many other planes, you know, if I'm going to Shepparton or somewhere else, if we're taking a bunch of planes and we need the trailer space, I'll, um, I might strip those out of wing panels right down to just separate top and bottom panels. Um, and then spend a bit more time rigging when we get to the get to the field. But um, yeah, look, it won't be won't be too bad. They're all um, they're not the kind of planes you take out to have one fly in a, on a Saturday morning. No, 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 it's not going to be everyday flyer. Go and get decathlon for that. But um, yeah, this is this is the kind of model that you take to a flying event and showcase it and let other people enjoy it as well. What, what's the prop size on it? Uh, so it's a it's a thirty four sixteen pusher. So 34 inches works out perfect scale size um, and was pretty critical on this because you, know, you, you sort of can't go any bigger because it, it hits the hits the booms and the control wires that run inside the booms um, and you go too small and they just it looks it looks disproportionate to the to the scale because they always had great big diameter sort of low revving props um, so it's uh, yeah, it should should look good. Where where do you get that prop from? Uh, that was well. That's another challenge. Um, so once you know, I think getting pusher props that size, they're, they're pretty limited. It's uh, this is actually a Fiala made prop, so the the engine manufacturer makes props as well. Um, and so this is a size they sort of recommended. Again, they don't make all the pusher sizes, but managed to managed to get one uh, uh, as part of the uh, along with the engine, which was sort of fortunate. Um, took a bit of a gamble on sort of pitch and everything else. Um, and we'll run this for a while and see how it goes, and then um, I'm gonna I'm probably end up getting out and getting a custom made, sort of genuine, sort of well one, sort of scale shape prop made. Yeah, we've got that uh, the guy down here who can make props. What's it? I can't remember, I can't remember his name at the moment. Not on the tip of my tongue, but um, yeah. What's the clearance like uh, with the prop to the ground when it's sort of uh, if it's back on the tail skids? There's plenty of ground clearance. Yeah, that's and that's that's the beauty about pushes actually. I um so it's funny, but yeah, they're actually there's not that much chance, touch wood again, of of breaking a prop, you know, bar losing a some sort of rigging cable or something else and getting mm. a cord or anything else. They're pretty well protected in there. Um, you know, you, it's not like sitting out the front, you can nose it over and, and do a prop in. So um yeah, it's got it's got a few inches of clearance off the off the ground and even more when as soon as the as soon as the tail comes up and it sits on that shopping trolley, um, it's got heaps of clearance there. Really, it's, you know, it'll be a, uh, it'll be should be pretty good. How do you start it? Um, climbing between the booms and flick it is the theory. Oh, gee. Um, but again, big engines they start start pretty easy. I uh, debated going on the electric start version, but it's about an extra kilo of weight at the time and doesn't doesn't really fit into where they're set up doesn't really fit into the sort of hidden hidden inside sort of look at everything else. So I think, um, uh, you know, we've got a, got a number of these big engines now and once you get the starting routine down, they start pretty easy generally. Hmm. Oh, I'm just, as you're talking, I'm looking at the photos you sent me and, uh, yeah, just amazed. Um, it's just, it's just going to be fun. I, I, like we always like seeing uh, unique models and... You know, we know that when it comes to sort of the kits that are made and the ARFs, 
you know, there's countless cubs and stuff like that. But I think, you know, the more and more I go with this hobby, what I love seeing is 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 more unique planes that people have built by themselves and designed up like you have. I, like that's something I really respect. I think that's just it's a big effort, but it's also provides a lot of enjoyment for people as well. Um, not just yourself, but uh, I'm very intrigued. I just can't wait to see how that that, that flies. Yeah, no, thanks, mate. No, hopefully it goes well. But like I said, there's a couple other projects lining up in the in the wings now. So I think. Oh, no. um, what other? Pro- oh, we, we don't want you to get sidetracked because I know what happens. You know, you get to a certain stage and then you really want to go and start building something else. What are these other models that you're planning on building? Yeah, well, it's um, and see, this is this I was at the start. It's a it's a problem when I, you know, with me when you you love all the airplanes. So uh, we uh, I do love the jets too. So you know, again, fortunate enough to. Uh, volume with uh, with Levi, who you've had on the on the podcast previously, yeah, and yeah. there. So we, uh, you know, and and he's he's led me straight to a little bit. So now I've got a um, I've got one of the new quarter scale Airworld Mig twenty ones due in due into the country any day now. So oh, I'm gee. sort of looking at the that's the next project. So that's a you know because everyone needs a four meter long jet in there. <laughs> I was going to say it's a big model. Like Airworld stuff's phenomenal. Yeah, well, hopefully, I'm. Uh, I can't wait to sort of see it. The, again, they're one of the one of the new release models from from our world as well. So, all the photos I've seen are, are, are phenomenal. So, yeah, that's can't enough. wait to sort of see it. And get cracking a, in that. That's another unique jet. It's yeah, and that's that's model. again. You're seeing it. You're seeing a theme here, probably. But yeah, that's mm. a that's a uh, and a lot of those things. So that's um that's that's probably next. And then um and Mike and I have already decided we're gonna uh, we're gonna build. A uh, another World War One scale model called a SOP with Salamander is uh, is next. We were going to do we were we were going to do a, an FE eight, which was again another another World War One pusher. Um, but we've sort of gone cold on that. Now we've decided that uh, a SOP with Salamander might be the go. So more conventional, uh, although you're still unique. Yeah. You don't, don't sort of see them, but it's a it's a sort of World War One the the sort of grand attack. Uh, one of the early ground attack sort of planes. So, um, yeah, it's going to have a, a 360cc radial on the front, same as so I've got, got the engine sitting in the on the shelf in the garage already for that. Um, so that'll be a, another nice nice plane. About, oh, 140 inch or something, I think, is what we're sort of looking at the minute. Yeah, about 38%. Gee, um, that's big. Yeah, I was looking at this MiG-21. Is it the one-fifth scale version? No, the quarter scale. So, oh, okay. Uh, just having a look. So, uh, What's the wingspan on it? Oh, little. It yeah. Yeah, yeah. This no, thing, it's, um, okay, yeah, the wingspan's 179 centimetres, but the length is 368 centimetres. Yeah. Yeah, Weight so it's a... Uh, 20 kilos. A bit like the 104. Yeah. A bit like the 104. The, the Starfighters are little wings and big long fuse, but... Yeah. Um, that's yeah, it's strange. You don't see you don't see them modelled very often, really, considering how many of the of the full size actually made. But it's um, you know, looking forward to uh, to seeing that and, and getting that going. But um, again, like like in the quirky, the the undercarriage setup on that is what has sort of appealed to me. The the quarter scale version they've got uh, undercarriage and the wheels on the full size when as they retract actually stay. Uh, perpendicular to the ground, so the wheels actually rotate and sit up beside the the uh, the engine in the four size, and they've actually kept that 
in the air world, the quarter scale version, sort of genuine to, to the full size. So, um, bit of a work of art in the undercarriage there. Yeah, it's amazing looking looking model, like another another unique model. It's it's almost like the fuselage is just this big tube from the front to back. It's like a pipe, pipe with wings. Um, yeah. What mode are you going to put in that? I need some decent. Uh, yeah, so that's going to have a, uh, a Jetcat 250, uh, one of the new Jetcat 250 Pros. So um, same as... Uh, I think Lee Boyce has got one in his, uh, in his one fifth F sixteen. He repowered that, and it's um it's a phenomenal engine, I think. So I think the uh, the prototype that that, that uh, Airworld's flying in uh, in Germany uh, is a two twenty, and um and the two fifty was get a bit more because in Europe I think they they've got the the twenty five kilo absolute weight limit, so they they feel they're pretty light. Um, I just wanted to have that little bit out of my sleeve so I can put sort of functional air brakes and obviously in line pylon sort of tank and stuff if I want to down the track. So the 250 should be a, uh, a good match, I think. Yeah. Have you got any other jets that you've been flying now? Or? Yeah, so I've got a, I've got a couple. I've got a little, uh, a little uh, Jet Legend Viper. That's sort of my go-to jet. That's, a, that's been a great little thing. It's just a super relaxing little jet to fly. Um, so it's got a little... Little Jet Munts 80 in that. It's a rounder right. Um, and then I've got a, uh, a Hawker Hunter at the minute as well. Oh, yeah. It's got a, it's a Mick Reeves version. So it's like them Rip Max, I think. Used to, used to import them or sell them. Um, and, uh, and again, I sort of ended up with that. And it's um, with Jet Munts 140, it gets a rounder right. Um, but I haven't really been flying that much sort of recently, to be honest. I've been that busy sort of building and you know, family and everything else that. It's uh, it's happening, so it's good just to have, good to have. I like to have planes in there that I can grab and fly if I wanted. Yeah, yeah. I I really enjoyed uh, <laughs> during the COVID period and all the lockdowns that we had. That I managed to sort of keep myself occupied doing all the maintenance on planes. To you know, and I got to a point where everything in my trailer, I store everything in my trailer. Everything that was in my trailer was flyable, and so I could just go to the flying field and just pick one and go. I want to fly this, and it'd be okay. It's not. It's not currently in that situation at the moment. I've got to reattach a muffler on one of my planes, but um, yeah, it's a good feeling when uh, you got something to just grab and uh, grab and go. Do you fly gliders at all? No, I um, no, I actually don't. I I did when I was a kid. I had a few goes of a glider when I was a kid. Um, but it is actually one area of the hobby I probably haven't sort of jumped into, to be honest. Um, oh, you will at some point. I, uh, I had a bad experience when I was a kid because I think actually a glider was the first thing I ever. I ever actually built from scratch on my own, um, and I still to this day actually don't know what went wrong with it. But it flew for about two minutes, and and I lost in the sun, and it came out of the sun when I did see it again spiralling towards the ground, and that was the last thing I saw of yeah. it. So it's sort of I don't know if that's me off gliders or not, but it's um, it's yeah, no, it's one area I haven't sort of got into. Gliders don't really like spiral dives, do they? Yeah, yeah, it didn't, didn't end well, mm. and. Uh, so, anyway, that was a uh, that was a scar we shouldn't open. <laughs> what um what else you got in your in your hangar at the moment? Um, so what else have I got in the hangar? I've got a uh, I've got a, a scrub cub at the minute. So if you don't know what a scrub cub is, it's a uh, all aluminium welded frame, sort of a, a, a bush cub, pretty much. So it's a cub airframe, but all all exposed, sort of rear end and everything else. So it's just a 
just a motor on a fireball pretty much in terms of the fuse. Um, and then uh, and then standard sort of cub wings and everything else, but these are all um, all aluminium, so a bit unique. Um, again, something Mike was Mike was producing up here for for a little while there. So I've got one of those airframes with a with a Moki 180 radio on it. It's a it's a great flyer. Um, and uh, what else is in the trailer? I don't actually got that much actually flying them in, to be honest. But it's been um, I had a bit of a culling because we had to build a new house and so I had to clear out the hangar pretty heavily. Um, and uh, and obviously the build's sort of taken over for the last year or two. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, there's the there's the odd assortment of, you know, homies and those sort of things that, that are around. But it's um, yeah, the scrub cub sort of my go-to. I want to go for a fly quickly, I go grab that end and go flying. Um, How does the scrub club fly without, you know, any covering out the back? Yeah, they're um, oh, they they fly great. They they're they're a bit they're a bit quirky in that they uh, it's surprising how much sort of parasitic drag you actually get from an open frame fuselage. So they um, they fly a bit like you you got to sort of land with a bit of power on because you pull the power off and they they do yeah. There's a fair bit of drag there, um, but flying wise they fly great. They're uh, they uh, they're super nimble because the the way that Mike sort of set them up. They've got um, they've got flaps, but they're double beveled flaps, so that the flaps when you're flying around are actually work as ailerons as well. Um, so they're basically full length ailerons, and um, and so they're pretty nimble and and get around. Um, and then uh, put on land, they still slow down, right? So yeah, they just got those few quirks about sort of leaving the power on to the wheels on the ground and everything else, a bit, a bit like a warbird, really. Um, mm. But fly great. Do you have any aerobatic models at the moment? Because you had a big, big composite plane, didn't you, at one point? Oh, I had a, uh, oh, I had a big Hempel, uh, Hempel extra for a little while that I was going to build the, the big, um, what was it, 60, 58%, I think they were. Yeah. Um, ended up, that was, um, that was when I decided that I was probably, uh, yeah, it wasn't the direction I wanted to go in sort of, Aerobatic wise, anything else? So I ended up selling it to a bloke in Sydney. I don't actually know what happened to that in the end, but if you're here, let me know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was a that was a big a big uh, that was a big model. It was oh, that was a four meter something. Um, yeah, that was um, that was uh, that was the last big sort of imported model project I endeavoured on. So hopefully, um, this this air world big is going to be uh, be the next one. Yeah, true. Have you found the um the flying um scene up there where you are in Port Macquarie versus say Sail? Um, yeah, look, really, really great. I I was actually surprised. I see, I moved up to to Port Macquarie. Didn't know anyone. Obviously, came up for work. Um, I went out the flying field and, and yeah, really, really good bunch of blokes. I think I turned up and um, literally offered sort of coffee and and uh, and everything else. They sort of had a had a monthly barbecue at the at the field and everything else that was sort of just made you feel feel at home. Um, but yeah, we're we're really lucky here. The the sort of strip in Port Macquarie is sort of really really great. It's at a, a back of a tea tree farm, so heaps of acreage um, and uh, and pretty sort of secluded down the end of the end of the farm. So um, yeah, we can we can uh, plenty of plenty of space to to sort of fly the big models and everything else out of. Um, and uh, yeah, no, pretty small club, but really, um, really, really good, good strip and everything else. Yeah, we've got some good aero modelers up that way too. So, 
Yeah, and, and that's the other thing. Like the, the building scene up here is for a little club. We're um, got a pretty good concentration of of some builders. You know, Graham Graham Brown is pretty active building in the in the club. He's um he's building a bunch of planes. He's he's constantly turning them out. Um, Mike's uh, Mike's obviously up here, and he's uh he's building some phenomenal models as as you know from sort of speaking with Shepard and, and and everything down there a while ago. Um, so yeah, no, just phenomenal, really. Yeah, it's good to see. It's good to see, and I've been uh, I've been watching you from afar. Your activities up there, and um, good to see that you you're still in it and you're going pretty hard as well. So um, yeah, it's awesome to see. Uh, how often are you getting out flying? You know, with all the, all the stuff. Not that often, like me. <laughs> not, not 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 as often. Like you know, work work gets in the way, and sort of uh, you know, young family and everything else sort of takes priority on weekends. But look, I still get out a get out a fair bit. I still um. Still enjoy getting them flying the jets, uh, yeah. Every every couple of months or so with with Levi and the, and the boys at Harry or Kempsey, so it's um it's good and and uh, yeah, I've been doing a bit of bit mid, midweek flying occasionally. Sure. Been sort of pretty fortunate last this year to do. Um, I managed to get across to Inglewood earlier in the year. That was um that was good to get away for a week. Um, I think I'll uh, I was talking to to my wife about sort of next year's events and everything else, and I just. But life changes, you know. You've just got to plan a little bit more in advance nowadays. Um, but I'm hoping to get down to to Wangaratta Jets next year, maybe if um, if my mig's ready, uh, or maybe get to watch. Don't know. Um, and then uh, and then yeah, probably uh, probably definitely get to Shepherd and I reckon is the, the plan with the AGO. And we'll see what else I can slip in in the in the meantime. But there'll be a couple of weekends away, I reckon. Yeah, sounds like a good plan. Uh, I'll be at Wang Jets and I'll be at Shepparton, so it'll be good to see you there with, with some of these planes. Okay, well, that brings us to the final question. Um, well, it's a question that everybody always can't wait to hear the answer for. It's, the, it's a signature question that I've asked probably over 140 times uh, in the past few years, and that question is what has been your all-time favourite model that you've owned? Um, yeah, and, and you gave it a heads up, you can ask this at the, at the start of today. I, for everybody out there listening, before we start recording, I'll just give the the you know the guest a bit of a run through of some of the questions, not all of them, because I always add a lot of different questions in as the you know to feed off what what the guest is saying. But I always say the final question is going to be what has been your favourite model. But then I get straight into the recording, so I don't give the guest a lot of time to think. So you know you got, you're thinking on the run here, Owen. So you know what is it? Yeah. Um, it'd have to be it'd have to be a super decathlon. I think of all the decathlons I've had, the uh, the Hamilton decathlon was was uh, definitely the the greatest flyer, and and not so much because they're well they're an awesome airframe and they they fly great. They just do everything well. But wherever you go with a decathlon, you seem to make friends. Someone's either had a decathlon, they know a decathlon, they want to fly with a decathlon. We can just just hang around. And and, and the Hamble one particularly, I remember going to Windy Windy with it a few years ago. Blowing its absolute sort of ring out, um, good, and, good and windy was definitely living up to its name, but it was just that that for one you had a DA120 and you could just be full throttle the whole time and just wanting more, and you could be flying like a pollen racer. Basically, I think there was there was another two decathlons there, and we were just all weekend. Didn't matter what the wind was doing, we just flew all weekend and, and you have a laugh with mates and everything else, and it just it becomes a social thing with a decathlon more so than a flying thing. So that's uh. It just, yeah, that, that's got to be the favourite plane, I reckon. That's a great, great explanation. Ask me in six months and it might be an AGO. <laughs> or a MIG. <laughs> <laughs> or a MIG. You never yeah. know, but nah. 
uh, as a great explanation of the decathlon. And you know, it's funny when when I ask that question because always intrigued and often it's a model that has another story attached to it. It's not necessarily the greatest flying model, but it's what that model means. And like you said, you know, it's a social social plane kind of thing. You always find friends when you've got a decathlon out of the um, field. So it's, that's an awesome answer. Well, Rowan, it was a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, I'm glad we, we've, we, I've managed to twist your arm enough to get you on because I've really, really enjoyed this chat and finding out more about the model that you're building and all that kind of stuff. So, um, well done, and uh, thanks for joining me. No worries, but no, thank you, and uh, and thanks for nagging me enough. It's been a, been a while, but then uh, appreciate the invite, mate. About to leave, already packing. Come with me, I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Well, there you have it, another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted, and oh, what a podcast it has been. I really enjoyed having a chat with. Rowan Howarth, uh, all the way up there in Port Macquarie. Great guy. He really is a good guy, and I, I really mean that. Um, his model, oh, I was as he was talking, I was looking at the photos that he sent me of this model that he's building, and you've got to go and have a look at it. it it's it's just phenomenal. It's a, what would we call it again? Uh, AGO C2. Uh, it's a German um, early World War I uh, model. AGOC.ii. So you see to um, take a look and you'll, you'll see what we're talking about. And uh, the amount of work he's putting into it is phenomenal. So well done. I love projects like that. We've had two. We've had uh, the, the F16 in the last episode, now this AGO, and um, be many, many more to come as the year is winding down. So uh, thanks for joining me once again. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a great review if you like it. Tell your friends if you like it as well. And don't forget the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. I've got a few videos that I've shot, but I haven't edited them, so I will get to them. No rush. Uh, and don't forget the Instagram and the Facebook page as well. We're everywhere. This is a movement. Join the Flat Out RC family. This is where all the cool kids hang out that fly model aeroplanes. I'll be back in a couple of weeks' time as we wind down the end of the year. Talk to you soon. Please.